0: This is Joe Cole.
1: This is Ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the London, the London, London is Blue, Blue Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue Podcast. I'm Nick, of course, your your host, joined by Abdullah and a special guest this week. Jesse's on vacation, a well-earned uh, vacation. Uh, and so uh, we're bringing in a special guest, Om Arvind, to look at Chelsea's emphatic win over Manchester City. Uh, this was a, a massive uh, three points for Chelsea to take their first three points ever um, at city. So a lot to talk about here, but uh, but I'm going to pass the ball to Abdullah to to talk about Ohm because there's a, just a long list of achievements and accomplishments that you have to go through here. And I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Yeah. You know, so when I was, when I was writing this up, I was like, what do I, what do I have to say to get everybody to know who Ohm is? And, and it just came down to this, you know, he's, He's a man of many words on Twitter. We've all seen it. He has a lot more diagrams and memes uh, when when you you go look through his Twitter timeline. He's also the co-host of Managing Madrid's Las Blancas podcast, you know, a contributor for Managing Madrid on the men's side. He's got his own Substack called the Tactical Rant, where, by the way, check it out, quality stuff. And he also does some casual freelancing for other places and FC to name a few. So, and then if there's one, if there's, you know, if you still don't know who he is, I guarantee you remember last season during the Champions League against Wolfsburg, he was the guy who kind of uh, put captions on Emma Hayes' instructions when she was shouting out in an empty stadium mm. for that Wolfsburg, Interpre- he was the guy. So, if you don't know anything else, you'll remember that video. So, that is Omar Vind
2: in a, in a nutshell. Welcome, um. Thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure to be here and excited to talk about Manchester City Chelsea.
1: Absolutely. A man, a man of few words when it comes to himself, but of many words when it comes to tactics. Uh, look, it, we're, we're going to talk about a lot today, but certainly we want to get into this. Chelsea get a spectacular win over Manchester City to get within one point of Arsenal, um, who drew Spurs on Saturday. Uh, we're going to talk about how Chelsea won by a big score line despite a underwhelming first half. Um, and, and I'm going to I'm going to get stuck in there. And then, which second half changes made the difference, and and all the tactical tweaks that that Omen Abdullah saw um, that, that changed the flow of the game. But of course, we have to start with a three word match review, and this uh, there, there's just a, a, a myriad of these this week. So, uh, fellows, get ready uh, for years. But uh, RJP journalism with Etihad Campus conquered. All right, fair enough. Craig Ledoux with better blues cruise, which I like, and there's a little. Better call Saul there, uh, reference uh, techie tiger with finally win there in the league in Perenz because, of course, we just won the FA Cup uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Kate with goal differential FC, <laughs> which we've talked about a little bit in, in recent weeks, but it appears that the uh, the offensive flow is finally uh, getting its act together for Chelsea. Uh, Mike from Rhode Island with ruthless, opportunistic, victorious, and so that is. That's pretty much the, the summation of the day. Gonzagina with transition, destroy a city. And then, look, guys, it's our turn. Uh, I'm going with, uh, you know, I'm going to start us off. Uh, clinical, not dominant. Uh, I I think that is is closer to where the 4-0 reflected. It's why you, it's why you watch the game and not just look at the scoreline. Abdullah, what about you?
0: Yeah, no, I I, I think yours is pretty much to the point. I like it. But I think I'll go with City taken apart. I mean, with Chelsea not at their best they still ripped the city, the city side to shreds, especially with the scoreline. So I don't think there's anything else that you can, you can go with.
1: Oh, um, what about you?
2: I think this may be the worst one you've ever heard on your podcast, <laughs> but the best I could come up with was Dark Blue Better. And um, let's just say when it comes to tactics, I need I need my time to say what I want to say and trying to <laughs> distill it down to three words doesn't exactly work for me, but there you go. That's That's my three-word match summary.
1: That's... Look, you're not wrong. I mean, give yourself a little credit. Uh, all right, we're gonna get into it because uh, we we put it off for far too long. Of course, we played Manchester City. Of course, we played the, at the Academy Stadium on November fourteenth, twenty twenty one, and of course, the score line was Manchester City four or Manchester Manchester City zero, Chelsea four, uh, with goals from Kerr, Kirby, Fleming, and Eriksson. Uh, starting lineups, uh, Abdullah, give it to us.
0: Let's go. So I'll, I'll start with the home side. Uh, give them something first. Uh, Karima Taib was in goal as, as, as she has been over the last few weeks. Uh, Georgia Stanway at right back with Jill Scott and Greenwood at center back with Demi Stokes at left back. So again, that that disjointed sort of like versatility FC going on at the back there. You had uh, Philippa Angadal, Kira Walsh and Caroline Weir, Weir in midfield uh, with Jess Park, Ellen White and Lauren Hemp. You know, kind of coming up on the front three. So playing in a four-three-three 3 3 formation. Um, Chelsea, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of changes. So they had Anne Katchenberger in goal, as always. Uh, Ericsson, Carter and Bright this time as the back three. Obviously, Nguyen drops out from the last game. Uh, Cuthbert at right wing back, G. Leupold's reunited in central midfield again, and then Wrighton comes back at left wing back. And then the front three is, which has kind of been the front three of the last few games, is uh, Kirby Kerr and Jesse Fleming gets yet another start up there as part of the front three, which um, we'll get into. But, you know, it was, uh, I, think, I think this Chelsea side was, uh, Fleming, at least Fleming in this Chelsea side, is now looking more and more like a, a regular uh, here.
1: Absolutely. The stats uh, do not tell the story of this one. Um, City uh, with 11 shots, 6 on target. Chelsea with 13 shots, 6 on target. City with 56% possession and, and a lot of that in the first half. Chelsea's 44. Uh, City outpassed Chelsea. Uh, City had better pass accuracy than Chelsea. City had more fouls than Chelsea. But uh, overall, you know, if you were to look at the stats of this game, you know our, our friend uh, Yannick put out a tweet with the with the box score here and said guess the score of this game and it would have been hard to pull out a 4-0 Chelsea win especially as as uh, as Chelsea've never won away at City in the league so uh that that's kind of the stat line here oh um, is there
2: anything that stands out from just the pure stats
1: that that you would want to call
2: out i think probably the pass accuracy because both sides were pressing quite a lot and We're going to get into this, but I think Chelsea handled it a lot worse in the first half. And um, I also thought Chelsea's pressing their issues with it in the first half. And I think that maybe hints a little bit at what might have been going on in the game, despite maybe the rest of the stats not really telling the story or kind of muddling it. So I think that's kind of what stands out to me
1: a little bit. Fair enough. Uh, A couple of other things to to reference uh, from Chelsea Women's Daily. Sam Kerr has now scored in all WSL matches against Man City since the start of the 2020-2021 season. Three matches, three goals. Nemesis taking the Joe uh tweet format there, which I like. Um look, let's dive into it, guys. Um the the 4-0 scoreline masked a pretty rough first half. You know, I, I think among the worst that I've seen Chelsea play and in some time now credit to city for uh, coming out you know after the incredible uh, giveaway in the first minute uh, and and pressing Chelsea like I haven't seen him press since the Champions League final last year Uh, but I mean it was it was dire we couldn't string a pass together to save our lives Uh, what were your thoughts on just the general flow of the game of doula and and what the hell went wrong in that first half
0: it was it was a strange start, you know, because considering City's form, and I know that at the end of ninety minutes, it was kind of as expected where we were supposed to be. But when the game started, and you think, all right, maybe a couple minutes in, you know, we'll, we'll take it. Things will things will be easy. They'll start feeling the flow of the game, and then literally before you could even blink, there was a goal. Right, Jesse Fleming just kind of comes in. There was some. It was a, it was a decent press from Fleming and and, and Kerr and Kirby, and then Curry Mataib just kind of between her and Greenwood, they kind of messed up, and then. Jesse Fleming has scored and I think that kind of well technically that should have set the tempo for the rest of the game but then for some reason it just did the inverse effect and then suddenly City decided you know what now that we have the pressure from minute one we should probably step up you know I feel like if City had conceded in 20 minutes 30 minutes or 40 minutes that reaction would have possibly come at that point it's just so happened that it came in the second minute and I think Chelsea just were just under some almost unnecessary pressure on themselves by not really stringing together passes i think one of the things that we talked about on in the whatsapp group just before, when while the game was on was they can't string together two passes in that first half it was just it was just never-ending uh source of like oh we'll pass oh the ball's gone okay now we go back and take pressure and i think maybe a better side than city takes advantage of that to to a certain extent um uh, and I think we'll get into the nuances in, 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 a, in a minute. But um, overall, I think that first half was 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 telling in terms of um, I think both it has its both its positives and negatives for being under so much pressure.
1: Um, what did you see uh, from the, from the slow start that, that might have contributed to Chelsea's uh, lack of control, uh, which was strange?
2: Yeah, I think lack of control is the key point here because Chelsea were not good on the ball, but they also didn't have that many opportunities to get on the ball in the first half. So trying to like put all the sequences together in my mind, it's hard to like attribute causation to what's happening with the buildup, right? Because it could be individual mistakes and in some of them, there could be a tactical issue. But ultimately, there just wasn't enough of a sample size in that first half for me, especially with the stoppages because there were so many in this game, especially with Berger's injury it was hard for me to like exactly pinpoint what was going wrong. And that I think is because city had most of the ball. They were the ones who were stringing together. Most of the possessions, the sample size was larger on their end. And and that's where I go and look at Chelsea's press. And I was just, I was pretty confused as to what the idea was with Chelsea's pressing to be frank. I mean, obviously Emma Hayes has an idea of what she wants to do. And she ended up making a series of adjustments that made it better and better but to start off, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. It looked like they were trying to just press from their 3 4 3 formation in a line of three up top, but without clarity of how they're going to access the center backs while also being able to kind of shut off the option in Walsh, the defensive midfielder. And it was just far too easy for Chelsea to either, or for, pardon me, for City to either directly pass it to Walsh. Or play it forward, play a wall pass to Walsh, and then you know attack City's midfield, attack the last line. That was basically exactly how City created their best chance of the game, which was the one versus one between
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: Ware and Berger. Was they played it to the midfield, played the wall pass to Walsh, who no one was on, plays the through ball. Ware runs in behind, and that really should have been one one. And there just wasn't a uh, there just wasn't clarity on what Chelsea's pressing structure was. It made it too easy for City to play through them to exploit spaces in key areas and get out wide, especially. And I think that's kind of what contributed to this sense that Chelsea Chelsea lacked control and they weren't able to get on the ball as a result.
1: Did you, you know, I'll come right back to you. Did, did you see the, you know, the Chelsea midfield, you know, maybe with G and Leupels as maybe a little lightweight for, you know, the amount of time and space the city had and like their, the lack of pressing maybe contributing from those two?
2: I think... G is always a little suspect defensively and that you kind of have to carry her, especially in one versus one duels. But I think with the way the front three just seemed kind of confused about what they mm. were going to do, it was just a lot on them to kind of handle their assignments, right? So yeah. it seemed like the front three were supposed to handle the center backs and handle Walsh. And so G and Leupold's kind of like were stayed off. They weren't stepping up. And so it created this big disconnect between the first two lines of pressing and that kind of got corrected little by little, and uh, we'll talk about that. So, like, yeah, possibly if you had, um, you know, Fleming in midfield or, you know, Ingle, who came on in the second half, maybe they react and handle it a little better than G did um, in terms of trying to solve the issues that came from the issues with the first pressing line. But I do think, first off, it was it was an issue with the front three and just kind of like a structural confusion of how exactly they were going to handle what city normally do in build up. And, and that's what surprised me because city were playing their normal game, right? They're playing, you know, a lot of up back throughs, a lot of third player runs and Chelsea should have expected that. Obviously Hayes knows that she had an idea. I just, it just probably didn't come out the way she wanted it to, which is why she started to make changes at a certain point.
1: Yeah. Abdullah, this led to kind of an interesting dynamic, right? Because obviously Chelsea's press gets the first goal and then, a absolutely clinical counter-attack gets the second goal. Um, and, you know, those are two very, very, very different ways to score, um, you know, both both clinical in their own right. Uh, but this was a flattering scoreline at 2-0 based on what we looked at in the first half to say, okay, you know, Ch- Chelsea are, are leading here, but it's not convincing at all. Can you maybe talk about the counterattack and – how Chelsea utilized maybe sitting back a little deeper to, to spring on City.
0: No, no, I agree. It's, it was almost like to, you know, we, we've talked about the press and we've talked about, you know, Om just referenced the fact that, you know, Chelsea's front three kind of possibly had a little bit of a confusion in kind of what they had to do. And I think, Part of that maybe also comes from the fact that there is no Pernilla Harder in that side, right? Pernilla Lahada has been there from the beginning. She's so used to the system along with Kirby and Kerr that I think the three of them together just have this chemistry and, and connection that they know what exactly have to do. We've seen different patterns of play when when, when they're playing, right? We've seen, you know, Harder behind two, two strikers. We've seen different sort of like three up front. So we've seen those different variations and none of that was showing in this game. And I think part of it is because maybe because, you know, of the way Fleming's been asked to play, you know, because I don't think she can possibly do exactly what Harder does, but at the same time, what she does do, you know, is is good. But I think, I think I mean, let's look at the first goal. The first goal was, all right, City trying to play it out from the back. There was, was a pass back between the defender and the goalkeeper. You know, one player presses. Fleming just happens to be there going to go to the goalkeeper. Karim Mataev just kind of messes up. Fleming takes the ball and scores, right? It was... At that point, you think it was just a simple mistake from City that just kind of caused the issue. But I think as the half-worn, and especially when the second goal came, and if we look at the second goal, great win, you know, in midfield, ball gets passed into into G, G kind of drives forward. And again, what we talked about when G's allowed forward in space, obviously dangerous, dangerous proposition. Um, dangerous proposition. But uh, And then she just kind of crossed the ball, in, and then Chelsea just... Uh, Chelsea just you know did their thing and and, and kind of uh, uh, and scored off you know p- pass into into current scored so I think both se- both pressing moments were good in isolation it's just that I don't think Chelsea g- kind of going back into own point just that I think for the, the that middle portion from minute two to minute 44 they just didn't know what they were doing I think it almost felt like they were they were they were like, okay, do we just, like, let City do their thing and they'll implode? You know, there's maybe there's a little bit of, like, let them implode because we've seen what the other teams have done to them. City can't really penetrate us except for Lauren Hemp. So if we can keep Lauren Hemp quiet, we'll get chances on the counterattack. And I think, possibly, I think the the, the, the plan was let's play a bit more of a counterattacking game. And if that was the case, then then, then it worked to an extent, right? Two goals from from one goal, at least a second goal from a counterattack. But... The lack of proficiency in passing and the accuracy—I think that was something that was um, that was uh, a bit strange. Because I think one of the things that I, 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 I tweeted out in the beginning is that when I saw G in that lineup, I thought right, Chelsea are going to go for possession. But when G is in the side, you look at it against Villa last week and, and the games before. When G plays in that midfield with whether it's Loepels or Ingle, or whoever, you know that you want to keep possession so you can help break down break down a side. But I feel like if you want to play it against the bigger sides and you maybe want to keep the ball with the other team, you may want to play someone else. And I think we saw that in the second half. Om, do you have anything? I know that you think you had a couple of points on, on the goals as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think the thing with Chelsea and what always makes them so dangerous, whether they're playing well or not, is the sheer opportunism and ruthlessness of what they do. So... There are like two players I want to highlight on this goal. Obviously, G will get to, but Wrighton just a fantastic job of yeah. of recognizing that she can do a blindside press. I think it's Stanway who's the one receiving the ball back to goal, and she just leaps on her, wins the ball, and they're away. And the thing I like about Wrighton is how she just kind of continues the natural motion of her run and attacks the opposite side. Right? She sees Kerr is going the other way, and she makes a really important run after winning the ball beyond the last line that stretches City that gives G the space to go down the left and then this ball from G I mean I'm interested what you guys think about it when I first saw it leave her foot I thought that was a mishit I was like it's just you know it's just flying awkwardly in the air and then as I see it come down I'm like that's one of the best passes I've ever seen and I think this is why Hayes will will most of the time or at least for the foreseeable future accept the trade-offs with G whatever it is defensively because as a ball player she's simply magnificent and every time i watch her i'm just like my god this is a special player so i just excellent recognition and work from Wrighton in that instance to be able to just take advantage of, of a moment from from city that that where they look vulnerable and then obviously g's quality don't, does the rest and if ker's in the box and you can give her a good service she's going to score
1: well yeah i would go back to the the uh, selflessness of the header back in as well from Wrighton, who realizes that the angle is just not there to challenge for goal there. So let's put it back into the box, throwing most lethal strikers in the world and see what she can do with it. And of course you get a goal and Chelsea, again, Chelsea at two nil up at half, you know, kind of gets away with one uh, in this one. But, you know, I think one of the, one of the uh, players we want to reference here, Abdullah is, is Jesse Fleming, who, um, you know, given Pernilla Harder is is out and we don't know for how long and we certainly don't anticipate her back like ASAP, You know, this the emergence of Fleming has been impactful, especially as a part of a front three, which is, you know, maybe not where we uh, thought she would uh, play a lot of her minutes this season. So uh, can you maybe give us a sense of how you saw her game today? Um, obviously gets gets the very early goal, but. Uh, just her you know her general game in the first half.
0: Yeah, I know. I think Fleming kind of played a similar role to kind of what she's been asked to do in the last couple of games because, you know, if if we if we look back, I mean, goal aside, I mean she's been she's been scoring or assisting in the in last couple of games, which has been good to see. It was nice to see her get an early goal again, just kind of cement her her place as, as one of the players that's making an impact. But I think for me, I feel like it, while Harder is the one, you know, when she's playing is the one who drives in really the, the main ball player let's get the ball to harder and get her to, to kind of shoot and score uh or, or create i think fleming's is his role is for me at least a lot about the off the ball movement than it, it is with the on the ball movement we all know how, how amazing she is uh on the ball and how she can dribble past players and how she can she can she can you know play a pass or two but i feel like with her in this front threes all right let's You know, when you when you come in deeper and collect the ball, fine you can get on the ball, pass it into a Kerr Kirby. But then I think for her it's make those runs into the box, not only just to get into the box and create and and to be there as, as a final passing option, but I think it's to create that space as well. And I think a lot of the times when we see We've seen in the last few games, uh, and and even today, there were moments where she gets in the box, it's either opening space for someone on the left side, it's even opening space for Kirby, it's opening space for Kerr, maybe even a right-in, because then the, you know, if you're running in between the fullback and centre-back, they're kind of confused, who do we take, and especially when you have uh, a, a G or a Leupold coming in from, you know, the interior channels, so... I think for me, that's that's kind of where Fleming's kind of strength in, as part of the front three comes in is l- as, is less on the ball in comparison to her regular game. But at the same time, it's how intelligent she is off the ball for me, which which really makes her such a potent part in this in this in this front three. Um, but, oh, I know we've had a we've had a discussion before around this uh, this topic. I mean, do you did, did you see the same thing or, or am, I, am, I, am I dreaming here?
2: I'm just really impressed that you can use Fleming in so many ways, like putting her in a front three, like it just doesn't stand out to me as like a particularly optimal way to use her. But I've watched her there a couple of times and I don't know if I can really complain about it. I think probably she is best as like more of like an attacking eight in midfield or something, but... In a way, the the wide forward roles, especially if she's replacing harder, she gets a little bit of that, right? She gets to drop off between the lines and receive. She gets to move to attack the channels. And so it's not totally dissimilar to what she'd do in midfield. It's just obviously more advanced. Her defensive duties will be different. It's a little bit more about pressing the back line. And she's just a very, very intelligent player. I think it was something you could see in the Olympics. It was something I actually wrote about and pointed out about her performances. Is off ball, she's extremely smart. She's constantly looking at where she should be in relation to everyone else. And I think that's why Hayes feels comfortable. Okay, I can stick her in the front line, given how fluid our system is and still have it work because she's going to be in the spot she needs to be because she just kind of manages that herself. And I think Hayes really loves players like that because when everything is working and when the rest of the the basic structure is stable, Chelsea are at their best when players are moving, moving fluidly with and and occupying the right areas while moving fluidly so that things aren't destabilized and maybe it hasn't all fully come together yet for Chelsea this season but we saw it happen last season how devastating that would be and I, I think d- despite Jesse Fleming not having gotten much minutes last season and people wondering about what her place is in the squad I, I do think she's like very much an Emma Hayes player and um, her her role in this team will continue to grow as Hayes sees performances like this.
1: Well, this is all music to Chelsea fans' ears. Um, So thanks for the additional support for Jessie Fleming um, as she becomes a more integral part of the team. We're going to take a quick ad break. Uh, Thank you to the sponsors for supporting the show, and we'll be right back to talk a little bit about uh, what went wrong for City, uh, which is a fun part of the show. Be right back. Uh, A couple of quick reminders. Again, uh, this uh, show is happening every week. We're supporting the Chelsea women. Uh, with with action and so every monday or tuesday you're going to hear uh, this show live in your podcast feed so please be sure to download please rate and review on apple podcasts uh, if you can maybe give a shout out to Ohm for for his guest appearance today and then if you're looking for some deeper connection into the chelsea women's community uh, our discord server uh, which you can join through patreon is a wonderful place to do it uh, lots of activity uh, this morning especially around uh, in catcher burger and maybe an injury there. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But look, I, w- I want to toss it uh, back to Abdullah because I think, look, I mean, this has been a nightmare season for city, right? They have had a ton of injuries. They are not maybe uh, as well coached as, as they could be uh, based on every Twitter uh, feed that you, you saw this morning. Uh, what are your thoughts on what went wrong for them today? Because I mean, again, Based on the first half, they certainly deserved something out of the game, but the second half they kind of fell apart.
0: You know, it's weird because if we go for the first forty-five minutes, City kind of played with the the, the the tactics that they regularly played, and it actually worked this time. You know, to to an extent, like they just kind of same like almost saying third man runs up through backs. They were they were doing the same movements that they've been coached to do, and to an extent, it worked. Right, they. Yes, they conceded a goal in the first minute, but you take that away for a second. Yeah, you know what? They could have on another day, maybe with a little bit more luck, with a couple of players here and there. They 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 go one way. They they draw the game level one one, or even go two one up. You know, all things considered, because they they were they were they were pretty decent. I I don't think it was too much of a tactical issue in this game for them. It was just, I think it just summed up City in in just the biggest way it's just the way that they're playing now you almost don't ex- you just can't expect them to score almost they, you, you, they, you they walk onto the field and you almost expect them to make a mistake from minute one to, to minute 90 and i think that is time to get into the players minds that you know what oh god we are we're almost expected to to fall off and and not do well and i think that i think it's more of a mental it's getting mental now for them you know because you look at you look at that squad. They've got some world class players. Lauren Hemp is probably the only one that's continuously delivering for them week in week out. Uh, and we'll get into Aaron Cuthbert's uh, performance against uh, Lauren Hemp this game, which was outstanding. But you look at uh, Caroline Weir, really really good player. Um, you have uh, Vicky Losada came from Barcelona last year, Champions League winner, really good player. Angadahl's a fantastic player for Sweden. Um, you, you know you look at Greenwood played for Leon last year uh you've got you know you've got Janine Becky gold medalist for Canada I mean there there are so many players you could pull in but I think it's those players that are missing have caused so much of an issue like Steph Houghton's been out for a while Chloe Kelly obviously uh, Chloe Kelly obviously had a long-term injury and when you had the Kelly hemp combination on left and right teams couldn't handle that whereas now you only have to keep one side quiet the other side can really just be you know, you don't really need much and then you can kind of counter off that or play off that side. Um, And I think all these factors put together, I don't think they do well. And most importantly, I think they're missing Ellie Roebuck because she has been really really good for them her the you know her, her movement uh, it, it, on the line decision making command of the box her ability to kind of you know i think i think set pieces is where they're strong at karima type is just not really good at set pieces and it's not the first time we've seen her make a mistake even against chelsea in the fa in the mm-hmm. in the fa cup game a couple of weeks ago she made she made so many mistakes then and I think they're really missing for it, because even okay, I mean Karen Barnsley isn't the greatest either. But you probably then want Karen Barnsley in there with the experience and in, in in City. And yes, I think Matai has had her moments to try and and, and cement herself uh, as a first choice keeper. But if she's going to come up poor against the top sides and make crucial mistakes and that's letting in one or two goals, then um, you're gonna have you're gonna have a problem. And I think overall City missed the trick. I mean. They didn't capitalize on Chelsea's kind of poor performance and, and they paid for it with a hammering in the second half.
1: I guess, um, do, you, do you agree uh, about, you know, where City are, are falling flat right now or is this something else at play?
2: I think it's a number of factors. I mean, I, I broadly agree with, with with the idea for Abdullah that it's it's a number of things. I think on a general level, there are some tactical issues that I've observed over time watching City, which is just... They could be a bit predictable, and it looks like they're doing the same thing every single time, right? What my team, Real Madrid, was able to do in, in the two legs that we faced them to qualify for the Champions League proper was we were able to shut out the, the middle really, really well, right? They have the same patterns they play through the center every single time. They're fundamentally sound patterns, but you have to find creative ways to use them. And and disorganize the defense first before you try to play through, and they just kept trying to do it every single time. And we were on song in both games; we were able to shut it down. And so if they can't play their usual patterns through the middle, they're going to go wide. And I think with last season with them, when when you have Lucy Bronze, when you have Chloe Kelly, that's still going to work most of the time. I mean, at Odia Zolite on Twitter, Yash. I think a lot of people know him if you if you follow women's football. He's posted a number of recent uh, data visits just basically showing that Chloe Kelly was like, besides Fran Kirby, the most dominant wide player in the league last season, creating all the chances, creating all the danger you take her away. And then you take away Lucy bronze's ball progression, right? Because if you're moving to the wings, because you can't progress to the center, you need someone who's incredibly reliable to be able to progress from, from, from the sideline essentially. And so you take her away, you add in some of the other injuries you talked about. I think that more exposes some of the, the, some of the limitations tactically with Garrett Taylor, but ultimately, when you talk about what happened in this game, when we talk about, for example, their collapse versus Arsenal, I think deep mental doubt has has like seeped into this side. Right. It's not just tactical at this point. I guess yeah. we'll get to Gareth Taylor's quotes, but he kind of said it's not a tactical problem versus Chelsea. And, and I agree in this specific game, because when you're when your player, when you're one of your best players misses one versus one. Right. When two of the goals come down to terrible mistakes in the first half, not that much you can do. And it's a mix of factors, and I, I, it's, it's like what I like to call a snowball effect, right? One thing yeah. will be wrong, which leads to another wrong thing, and it just keeps going and going and going, and that's what City are going through right now. And to be honest, it's what Real Madrid have gone through a lot this season. It's like we're, we're kind of mirroring each other in the way we're we are kind of like cascading downwards. And so, yeah, it's City are in a bad spot, and I don't know exactly how they get out, but Maybe it's a manager change, but there needs to be some kind of shift so City can get their belief back and they can stop doing this thing where they concede the ball twice on either side of every half and just kill themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the second half was a, a far different story if you if you were watching this. I mean, Chelsea back to their dominant selves, a lot more possession, a lot better ball movement. Uh, Sophie Ingle made the difference for me in the midfield, I think was a calming influence, uh, especially when... City tried to press, uh, which was not as much in the second half. Uh, but uh, Abdullah, for me, uh, you know, this is kind of where you know if you, if you looked at Chelsea, maybe uh, squeaking a couple out in the first half. This was a far more dominant performance in the second half, and you know could have could have been five, six, or seven. You know, just depending on on how you viewed some of the the chances that they were creating.
0: Yeah, no, quite easily. I think um, you know, I think I think that. G coming off and Ingle coming on, I think, made the difference because I think Chelsea realized that they needed more of a... I think it was almost like, all right, we tried the counter attacking thing in the first half. It worked to an extent, but we we know we got lucky because uh, City's midfielders were basically having more of the ball. And I think Ingle coming in just kind of solidified that midfield and just kind of said, okay, now we want to control the game. We want to control the ball. We want to play on our terms. You know, City, anyway, you're 2-0 down we're just going to try and take the game away and finish it off. Because I think to some extent, I think Emma Hayes is wary of the fact that City still have a couple of really, really good world-class players. And that could realistically get them back in the game at any moment, right? You don't want to be the team in that moment where you let City come back into a game and suddenly they're back in form and they start winning all their games. Right? So I think bringing in Ingle to kind of help shore up the midfield along with Poles, I think was a really good move. Um, I think it effectively just kind of helps shut out any of the any of the central balls going out, you know, uh, through the middle, so that forced and obviously forced City to, to use their wide players a lot more than usual, mm-hmm. um, then instead of coming inside because again the, the up back throughs and third man runs are very much interior channel half space. You know movements there, and then they try and get it into a, an overlapping Lauren Hemp or whoever's on the Jess Park on the right side. Um, but in this case, if you show that up in midfield with a with a Sophie Ingle and and a, and a Leupold, then it's much harder for them to be able to do their normal uh, play their normal game. And I think that's where. The change happened and I think that's where City then started capitulating because they were like well what we normally do isn't working we have no idea what else to do so what do we do and then they just kind of folded and then obviously Chelsea scored a couple of more goals.
1: Right. Uh, we have to call out the Frank Kirby chip finish to to the far post. Uh, this this came after a wonderful series of passes a great cutback from, from Aaron Cuthbert uh, in the box that was extremely savvy and Frank Kirby with a deft little chipped finish that hits right inside of the the far post, giving Taib nothing to do. I mean, it, it, there would have been very little that she could have done about that. Uh, wonderful celebration. I think probably it, it seemed to me um, that this is probably a goal that she's tried in training about 1,500 times and, and got one to come off. Uh, she now has scored 17 WSL goals and provided 12 assists. And the year 2021 is the only player in history of the league to, to both score and assist more than 10 goals in a single single calendar year. Uh, maybe wax a little poetic about Frank Kirby here.
2: Uh, Frank Kirby is one of my favorite players. Um, I don't know exactly where you guys are on the Ballon d'Or kind of you know uh, argument and stuff like that. I've been very hard in kind of pushing for Barcelona's Alexia Puteas. But I think if you were to pick one player where... Well, there's two really, but let's say one one non-Barcelona player where if you pipped her ahead of Alexia, that wouldn't make me mad. It would be Fran Kirby. Fran Kirby would be that one player. The other player I was talking about would be Caroline Graham Hansen. They're kind of my firm top three for the Ballon d'Or rankings. And I just I think Fran Kirby is the most brilliant attacking force in women's world football at the moment. She can do literally everything you want from a wide forward right she can stretch to to the touchline go one versus one provide with but what makes her special i think is what she can do in, in between the lines her ability to receive on the half turn at pace the synergy she's built with her to be able to combine through defenses and the fact that she's just an insanely lethal finisher i think last season she overperformed xg way ahead of everyone else in the league i mean she just blew everyone else away Obviously there's always going to be some variance involved with that but when you look at her ball striking technique, you look at her confidence in front of goal, I think it's pretty fair to say she's an above average finisher. You put everything together, she has the complete package you want in an attacking force. She's just a brilliant player to watch and then, you know, she she has some value defensively as well. I mean, we didn't we didn't see as much of it as we wanted to maybe or you guys wanted to in the first half especially, but she's a good presser, she'll do what the manager tells her. She is the best player in the side, in my opinion, and uh, she just has that magic dust that makes me want to watch Chelsea games, right? I'm not a Chelsea fan, but I will always try to make some time to watch Chelsea games, to watch players like her, to watch players like G. They just make the game fun to watch, and and they attract, I think, newer fans to women's football, right? If you're, if you're someone who hasn't watched Chelsea women before, you go to a game, and then you see Fran Kirby do something like that, you're like... Before knowing anything else, this wants to make me come back and watch more because I want to watch a player this special.
1: Right. Uh, I I would also add in the fun to watch category Abdullah Aaron Cuthbert, who I'll admit I was a little critical of in the first half. I didn't think that she was having uh, you know a very good game. I think she finished a lot stronger than she started, and uh, you know got some got some praise for for from Emma Hayes for for her performance, saying I think that's the quietest game I've ever seen Lauren Hemp have. Whether that's true or not, you, you know, you be the judge. But uh, what was your uh, kind of grade on Cuthbert today, playing the right wing back role uh, instead of uh, Jess Carter, who played it in the FA Cup?
2: I
0: yeah, no, I, I can kind of I can kind of agree with what you said. I think she didn't she didn't start off the best, but I don't think the rest of the entire team started off great in that first half. So yeah. I think it was she, she it was, was, was de- not alone. She was <laughs> she was not, she was not <laughs> <laughs> definitely not alone in that. So I think I think I think it's that's that's fair on for an Aaron, but um. I mean, you just have to look at the impact that 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 Lauren Hemp had in this game. Yes, towards the end, Hemp started getting a couple of big chances. Um, I think there was a couple of really good runs towards the, the last 10 minutes of the game. But by that point, the game was over. It was already 4-0 up. But so in the main crux of the game, the important, you know, period of minutes where the game was still within reach for City, I thought Hemp did really, really well to shackle um, Lauren Hemp and, and keep her relatively Relatively quiet, you know. I would say that she still had her moments, but I think it's very difficult for any fullback to keep uh, Lauren Hem quiet because she can run right, you know, with anybody there. So I think I think Aaron Cuthbert did a, a hell of a job in keeping her in check to to a certain point, and um you know, just kind of on the other side, Wrighton did and things. Didn't have the best game in the world in terms of like setting the world alight, but I think the job that she did on the other side was. Uh, very very good and it was one of those that you let it go under the radar but when you look at it you know again and you watch her, you're like all right both wingbacks I think did their jobs really really well and not to mention again we're talking about wingbacks but we're doing it with that and Chelsea again playing without natural wide players natural wingbacks these are wingers converted and they are now getting better and better at the role again maybe not a long-term solution but if we're talking about an isolated season as this season, I think whether it's Neve Charles, whether it's Aaron Cuthbert on the right side, it's Anderson or um, Wrighton, maybe less so Anderson. But between these three, I think Chelsea have um, you know, a set of full ba- wingbacks that... I think depending on the type of game that they're going up against, they could throw on a combination of the two, and I think they can get away with it. So I think I think we're we're starting to see that more and more. And but yeah, overall, I think Aaron Cuthbert is. If you have to keep uh, Penilla Hada out for Player of the Season right now, I would I would give it to Aaron Cuthbert. She's been one of the most important and successful, uh, or rather, most improved player just because she's actually getting game time this year.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you also you left out a, a Marin Mielda call out uh, on the right side that, that could be coming back into play as we kind of head toward December January as she kind of regains full fitness. So there, there's there's a little bit more to come on that front. Uh, true. I, true. I, I, look, I'm not saying it's going to happen immediately. I'm just saying it will be an option from which to pick. Is all she did. Uh,
0: that's true. She did come on as center back though at the Civet game.
1: Yeah. Which is another option, too, then, right? Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: The, the, there you go. we got another center-back option. The,
1: the, the options are limitless, damn it. Okay. Um, look.
0: We'll probably have a whole pod on the options for the back five, <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: pretty sure. Dissecting the back five, a London is Blue podcast special. Um, look, uh, the other, I think, major point of contention in this game is that Ann Katchenberger had a bit of a rough one. Um not because she allowed any goals, of course, she did not, but because she was involved in a couple of big collisions, seemed to strain her hamstring, although maybe that was a tactical thing. Uh, you know, we're, we're not 100% sure, but certainly got into a kind of rough one on one, uh, with hemp, uh, and and seemed to hurt her ankle or, or shin or something like that. Uh, in the first half and then just just didn't seem right I, I was actually surprised that she came back on uh, in the second half of Dula, and uh you know what I think it was the 60th minute or so um Mucevic had to kind of take her place just due to the injury so I mean what what might happen here is this is this uh Mucevic's position to roll with for the next handful of games and let Berger get healthy or what?
0: I would think so. I mean, that was the whole point of bringing in a a capable backup. Otherwise it's still Carly Telford hanging around the, you know, Mm -hmm. hanging around the joint. But I think, I think Musevich was, was a targeted uh, move from Emma Hayes. If I remember correctly, when she came in, she was touted earlier, but then when her contract ran out, she was immediately signed up. And, you know, she is one of those goalkeepers that I think in in the next few years we'll be talking about as one of the best. Uh, And Chelsea giving her, um you know giving her game time now is only going to be beneficial for her and if she is going to get a run of games then nothing like it we get to see a little bit more of what she's like i think the uh, i think i think what we've seen from her so far is she's been solid you know um i can't say anything too more positive or anything negative just because the game she has played she's done her job Mm -hmm. but i think now going forward especially if if she does end up playing against Juventus or Wolfsburg if we do if you know a Berg injury is that far down the line it'll be interesting to see but i think i think Musevich is more than a capable backup because just because of the fact that she is touted as one of the next best goalkeepers and the fact that she's now going to get a run of games, I think we will. It'll be both beneficial for musovic but at the same time, it will be beneficial for Chelsea for their backup to get a to get a good run of games, and it kind of keeps her happy as well, right? Says okay, you know, at least I've played minutes in the season, even though I am backup to AKB. So yeah, Om, what do you think? Have you seen much of musovic before, and, and any ideas?
2: I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I I have. Uh... Uh, Maybe a little more I can speak to you about Hayes' adjustments kind of in the second half. If We want to go there, but I don't know if you guys wanted to. Yeah, so I think you guys kind of talked about Ingle. I think that was key. I think there was also something important that happened with the defensive structure. And, you know, I I was only on my first time watch, so maybe take it with a little bit of grain of salt. But I did see Chelsea start to try different things towards the end of that first half. Defensively, I couldn't hear any audio from Emma Hayes. Because um, Atta football has like a good commentary team and everything. So I don't don't know factually that she was out shouting things. But given that we know who Emma Hayes is, I'm fairly certain that she was pointing stuff out on the sideline. And that's what led to some of the stuff I saw. So I talked earlier about like the lack of clarity from the front three. I think towards like the 30th, 35th minute and onwards, you started to see right and go all the way up. Um, you know, to, to mark the fullback in line with kind of Kerr, Fleming, Kirby creating almost like a line of four with G and Lloyd Poults getting really, really aggressive, moving on to Angel Dahl and um, Walsh essentially. So G started to step up on, sorry, Angeldal Angel was the one left. So G would step up onto Walsh really fiercely. And then Lloyd Poults would go on to, to where And technically Angeldal was the free player, But City, within kind of like that 10-minute span, were never really able to find her. And what it did was it just shut off all the short passing options that City were using to play through Chelsea, and they had to think about something else, right? How are we going to play through? And then when you mix in kind of like injury stoppages and stuff, it just kind of shut City down a little bit for that portion of the game. And then Chelsea were able to pick things up, get that counter and goal, and they went in 2-0 to that half. So it was interesting. It was almost like in that kind of period, Chelsea went to like a 4-4-2 defensive structure, And then what Hayes does by bringing, you know, or in conjunction with bringing Ingle on is she just moves to a straight 4-4-1-1 defensive structure, right? Fleming tucks inside on Walsh, so it's no no longer a central midfielder, you know, committing forward. So now you can have two central midfielders on Ang and 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 where so the free option is no longer in midfield, it's at the back. And she just changed that structure entirely, right? Right Wrighton stepped permanently up to the left-hand side across from, you know, one of the wide forwards. It was usually Kirby on the other side. And it just did that thing where it asked City City to to be more dynamic, to be more creative, and that's kind of where they've tended to fall short, right? When you shut down their usual patterns, how are they going to respond? And then in conjunction with, like, Game State, the fact that they were, you know, down and, and depressed or whatever, right? There was no way for them to respond. Chelsea had those set piece goals and it just goes from there. And I think with that change with Ingle and the fact that Gareth Taylor didn't react is where you could see the difference between the two managers, because I agree it wasn't a tactical problem that destroyed City today. But still, it's kind of strange that Taylor did not make a substitution after halftime, right? You're 2-0 down. Yeah. I don't know what the logic was particularly behind Jessica Park, starting on the right wing. To be fair, I don't know much about her, but I don't know if it's controversial to say that Janine Becky or Haley Rosso are, are more impactful attackers. And okay, I guess you don't want to start them for whatever reason, but when you're 2-0 down, I don't know why he waited to like, what was it like the 67th minute or something to bring them on, sub Jessica Park off. I didn't feel like she was offering that much out there. So he just kind of stayed with what he was doing, right? You can, you can, you can fairly say Taylor's system in the first half wasn't the problem, but you have to react to the reality of the scoreline. I felt like he didn't do that. Hayes reacted to the reality of how the first half played out performance-wise, fixed the things she needed to fix, and that's where I think you see the difference between the two managers and, and there are levels to this, basically. And and that's, that's what I like about Hayes, right? I think there's a lot of points, especially in the Champions League last season, you can say she didn't get it right in the first leg, then she goes and fixes it the second time. And I, I think that's kind of what I did with that Wolfsburg video was was kind of pointing out how she fixed it that second time. And and she's just really creative that way and really reactive, whereas Taylor, just he'll just stick with what he knows. And, you know, I guess it's unfair the game went against him, but you got to react to the reality of the situation he didn't in that second half.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he did mention after the game, we were punished for our errors. I thought the first half performance was very, very good. I think there were real positives for us to build on. And on another day without the errors, we stay in the game and it gives ourse- we give ourselves a chance to win it. Um, he said I don't think it's a tactical thing uh, but yeah I think your point oh um, is is well taken right which is Emma Hayes is a master at this game like she understands even when her team is up to nil that they were not playing well uh, and th- and there were there were things that needed to uh, to change and so whether that's personnel or a- as you mentioned just the slight rotation of a three four three into a four four two or a four four one one can change a lot and put pressure on different players and so that is you know what what uh what Abdullah put here in the script winning games without looking good that's the champions mentality right i mean out take out the seven nil win against servet midweek which you know was uh easy for this team um scary easy almost uh this is this has not been an easy start to the season for Chelsea Abdullah, right? and no. we have we have not looked, we've certainly not looked like we did last year or the year before in terms of offensive flow or or just pure dominance. I mean, I think it's part two things, right? New formation, still you know players getting used to the right patterns, and the league is better. The league is just markedly better year over year than it was last year, and so. Um, I think that is kind of where we are. We, we leave this you know, kind of early part of the season, and we'll talk about the table in a, in a, a minute here. Chelsea are, are not humming yet. And we're still doing all right.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, and 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 that's I think I think if anything, that's good for the league, and I think in the long term, it'll be good for Chelsea to get a bit more competition in the league itself than just kind of having to you know everyone looking forward to six games a season, and then everyone just you know goes to sleep for the rest of them, right? Like we saw on Saturday, the North London Derby against Spurs and Arsenal. Arsenal were losing that game until the very last minute. They needed to meet him a header in in stoppage time to, to get them a draw so the fact that spurs are in the top three now which nobody would have expected in the beginning of the season is 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 great west ham uh have a team you know they're they're surprising people every you know week in week out uh, every other week sorry rather than week in week out um united and everton if they got if they got themselves together a little bit you know then we'd have a little bit more competition with them but their squads are good and i think in time they will come good i mean there's they have to come good, you know, considering the players that they have. Um, but I have a very quick question for the both of you. Kind of just kind of inspired from what Om was saying about, you know, Emma Hayes' you know, capacity to change things on the fly and be reactive and Garrett Taylor's inability to do that. Does that also then kind of seep into the midfield dilemmas that both teams have? Because both teams have very, very good centre midfielders, right? You've got the Losada, Weir, Walsh. You know, you've got all these amazing players on one side and Chelsea have Ingle, G, Fleming, Leupels, that whole uh, thing over here. Who do do you... Do we think that while Hayes is still looking for her perfect pair and maybe she maybe has a thing, okay, in these games, I'll play these two. In these games, I'm going to play these two. Is that where City's problem also lies? The fact that Gareth Taylor doesn't know what his best combination is in midfield th- in the midfield three? The fact that he's still trying to play with the three, but every game it's either someone different. It just doesn't seem to work out, especially with the same patterns of play. So do you think that the, the fact that maybe Chelsea have a grip on kind of what they want to play in different games and City don't is where, the you know, we're mirroring the performances of each team based on that? Ed, you can go first then, Nick?
2: uh that's that's an interesting question that makes sense
0: if it makes sense
2: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't followed every single city game so I don't know to whether I can speak to that with great detail but I think this idea of Garrett Taylor swapping out midfielders all the time is kind of uh within the same system is kind of a I I think it's it gives you a sense of where his head is at in terms of what he thinks the problem is, which is a problem of execution rather than you know, adding more to the system itself. And so he's just kind of looking for, and this isn't necessarily wrong, but looking for what's the best balance for me to be able to play the way I want to play. But ultimately, I think he can find the perfect midfield trio. I just think he's going to continue to, to run into similar problems that he's, he's had in the past that we saw maybe a little bit in the second half this game. And it's not necessarily going to matter so much versus personnel. I don't even know if it's like a formation change thing. I think it's more granular. I think it's passing patterns. I think it's diversifying things that way. And then maybe personnel comes into it because it's who can give me, you know, more of that diversity or who can adapt better to that. But within the same system, you know, I don't know how much it matters. And maybe it kind of tells you that that's what Taylor thinks is going to solve it. And it's not a more expansive issue.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I, I would go. Situational, I, I, I don't know City that well, and this is not a City podcast, so I'm going to focus on Chelsea. Um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, Abdullah, against a low block, our options are vast, right? You know, you have every combination you could play a, a Fleming G midfield and probably be all right, you know, because you don't need the extra defensive cover against a Leicester or whatever. But I think today, and part of the reason that, you know, I'll move on to our standout performers when Engle comes in the game, it makes such a dramatic difference in terms of the control and allowing loopholes, the freedom to kind of play a little bit of jazz. Um, that is what I think can make the difference against some of these bigger teams, maybe, you know, with a little bit more talented uh, midfield uh, action. So to me, that angle stood out to me and it's probably just because I'm seeing you know, I saw her do something different than what we saw in the first half, but uh that is, you know, kind of the reason that I would, you know, give Chelsea a bit of the edge. Is I think they can play differently based on the opposition that they have. And I don't know if we've seen enough from City this year to say the same. So that's fair. Uh that, that does move us on to our player of the match. We're gonna kind of move to to wrap this one up here. Uh in, in our poll Sam Kerr edges out Frank Kirby, which I, I don't know if that would have been the, the the case for me. I think people love Sam Kerr, um, so fair, fair enough. But uh, we, we did put this out about a half hour before recording. I, I wonder if it finishes that way. Uh, who stood out to you, Abdullah?
0: I, I think you just mentioned it, Nick. I think for me it's Sophie Engel. I think that change at halftime really changed the complexity of the game and kind of the outlook. Um. I think if they had stuck with G in midfield for the rest of the game, at least maybe even for 15, 20 more minutes, I honestly feel like there was a chance that City might just get back with a goal and suddenly it's 2-1 and then it's a lot more nerve-wracking than um, than, than than it should have been. But I think Ingle coming in, just kind of solidifying that double pivot area, kind of all the points that Ohm's already made and I've already made you know across the pod, and you've made as well, that, um, you know, Ingle coming in, solidifying midfield and kind of making her presence known, I think, was the kind of the perfect transition from being a nervy win to a, or a comfortable
2: win by the end of the second half.
1: Um, what about you? Who's your standout player?
2: I probably have to go with Guru Wrighton. Obviously, she was really involved in that second goal, the way she created it. It was probably the goal that kind of killed City off, al- although Chelsea needed to make adjustments, which they did. And I just was really impressed with how she was able to adapt to multiple roles because the biggest change from that tactical shift was was moving and all the way up as a left winger out of possession and kind of changing her defensive duties. And I thought she handled that seamlessly. I just really liked her season so far. I haven't watched every single game, but I feel like it's accurate to say that she's been one of the standouts for Chelsea this season. I think she's adapted to the left wing back role really well. And it's kind of unleashed her in a way that we maybe didn't see as much last season because it was 4-3-3. Everything was about the front three. The wide players would be just traditional fullbacks, with, which Wrighton didn't really fit into. But this season, she can really unleash and do her thing. And offensively, I, I, I think she... She's a special player and she fits that side of it really well and she's growing into it defensively I think as we saw today and she she's adaptable right you can do these types of things because of a player like her is out there playing at wing back and so she'd probably be my standout on the day
1: well looking ahead uh, you know thinking about the uh, AKB for Mucevic, uh switch that's likely to happen in goal based on the injury uh, Chelsea play at home to servette um, this week I believe on Thursday. Um, Then they are back uh, home again against Birmingham City. It's been a minute since we've been at at the Meadow. Um, Back home against Birmingham City on Sunday, um, the 21st of November. And then fast forward a week and it's the FA Cup final. Um, Now this is the 2020-2021 edition of the FA Cup. Uh, We play Arsenal at Wembley, which will be uh, certainly a, a massive affair. And you would hope that uh, AKB is back for that one, although you just don't know the severity of her injury quite yet. Uh, but those are the next three. Uh, Abdullah, I guess if, if you're looking at this on paper, um, a couple of relatively straightforward matches, and then a, a big cup final. That I think you know, anytime you play a rival in a cup match, and you're and you're fighting for the league as well, it can have implications on on where the league goes. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that?
0: No, no, I, I think I think you're right. I think the Servette game, with all due respect to Servette based on last week's game, that should be another you know, should be another walk in the park. Just mm. like if I think I think that's that's the game where Emma Hayes can make some changes and then rest players for the Birmingham game. Um kind of come in. I think I think Chelsea should take care of business at Birmingham and then yes, kind of gear it towards that FA Cup final. You know, you win while it is last season's FA Cup now. Winning that trophy so early in the season, getting the chance to win it in early December, I think sets the tone for the rest of the season. And then also then maybe have a little sh- little shred of doubt at the back mm-hmm. of the heads going, all right, Chelsea have beaten us. They've won a trophy. We remember what they're like. We've got to be on our toes. And any slip ups, that means that Chelsea can come back and win it. You know, um, we talked about it in the Villa game last week. They didn't play that well. They won it 1-0. They, they didn't play too well in the first half today. They won it 4-0. So it's, it's back to that Chelsea don't have to necessarily be playing well right now to be able to win games. And that's the scary part, because it can only mean they're getting better. And this is without arguably their best player on the side. So, you know, only when Penelahata comes back, then it's a whole different story.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah there's there's a key, a key player missing from this uh, mix right now for Chelsea. Uh, right after the FA Cup final, though, is a massive Champions League game against Juventus at home. And so... Just kind of looking at, it, there are a couple of, of straightforward matches and there are a couple of really challenging, uh, tough matches for Chelsea. And so uh, where that puts us in the table uh, is, is kind of interesting now, right? Arsenal uh, still unbeaten on the year, but uh, did drop points against Spurs. Uh, if only Spurs could have held on at the end there, that would have been super nice, but they are Spurs after all. So um, just a point for Arsenal this weekend. Uh, which puts them at 19 points with a 21-goal differential. Chelsea in second on 18 points with a 17-goal differential. And so, you know, we need to start racking up these goals and playing a little bit more efficiently. Uh, a shout for Brighton and Hove Albion in third on 15 points uh, with a seven-goal differential. Obviously, Chelsea played them uh, earlier in the season, and and it was not a straightforward game like you would have expected. They've given Chelsea hell over the last couple of years. And uh, and look, man, I you you have to be honest about it. You know, this, this table is not what we anticipated at the beginning of the year, Man City in ninth, uh, right. Everton in 10th, uh, not having a good run of it so far, your West Hams, your, your Tottenham's kind of showing people up a little bit. Uh, this is a, a really competitive league. This is not the straightforward one, two, three that we anticipated. And so it'll just be kind of interesting to see, you know, if, if, You know, Maybe a Redding or a West Ham or a Villa are able to take points off of the the top three this year and uh, give everyone something to think about. But that is uh, kind of the wrap to this show. Obviously, Chelsea with a 4-0 win against City, you have to go for for an hour on this one and and break it all down. Uh, I'm going to do some final thoughts here. Uh, Om, uh, thanks for joining us, obviously. What are your final thoughts on this one?
2: My final thoughts on this one is I think you take a lot of heart in the fact that Chelsea are able to win ugly. But looking ahead to that Arsenal game, looking ahead to the Champions League matches, I think the time has come to start figuring out what the system should be, how it should look like, how to play really well from minute one, because the margin of error will start to shorten. Other teams will start to get their stuff together better as well. And I'm sure Hayes knows that. Um, and I guess from Chelsea friends, you look towards that kind of midway switch last season, which changed everything and hoping that can happen. Um, yeah, so I, I think you look both ways at it, right? There's a lot of reasons to be hopeful and, and proud of what happened. But also, I think a sense of urgency needs to come in now, right? Like Chelsea need to get it together. The tough matches are coming after a couple easy fixtures. And probably Arsenal won't be as forgiving as City was today.
1: You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Abdullah, final thought?
0: Yeah, I'm um, just echoing what what has just said. Chelsea need to, I mean, while well, we said they're winning ugly, they need to get, they need to get the rhythm and the flow together. Not be as inconsistent in games. Be more consistent. Better starts. I think that's the big key thing. Start gains better because they're ending them. They're ending them fine. They're not starting them too great. So I think once they get that into place, uh, I think we should be good. And we're at a point where the team should be at least 60%, 70 percent up there with the tactical system and understand what's required of them most of the players have played in it now so yeah overall i think we're going to running going into a really important stretch of games
1: all right well uh we will be back obviously uh next week uh with with more on chelsea's wins against uh birmingham and Servette. knock on wood and uh and we will be back but until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high